Well, that was a great PR for Downstairs Doctrine. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but first let me welcome you all. You're the hardy ones who shoveled your driveways yesterday, made it to church today. Bless the Lord for you all. It's so good to gather with you. A couple quick things before we get to the scripture reading and then into the sermon. So Downstairs Doctrine is going on right now. One of those guys, uh, Scott Krause, is down there teaching on how to read your Bible and get most out of it. But since you know, either you got that earlier today or you're not getting it now, so I want to let you know next week, Justin Cummings is our teacher in both hours, and he'll be teaching on the prayer life of a healthy believer. So downstairs doctrine, worship in one, go to get taught in the other. It's a nice square meal, two square meals before you go back home. Also, let me mention to you that uh, you'll know if you've been with us for a while that we have a candidate for the office of elder, overseer, pastor. His name is Perry Petrelli. This is the third week. Our Constitution says we've got to announce this to you for three weeks before there's a vote. This is week number three. We're commending him to you. It's our desire, the desire of the existing six elders that he'd become number seven with us. This afternoon at two o'clock, an email goes out to all members of this church. And in that email, there's a link. In that link, you can vote. And so we encourage you to vote and give us your thumbs up, Lord willing, for having Perry Petrelli as one of your pastors. The voting will stay open through Wednesday at 8 p.m. So yeah, from now till then, I think there'll be another link for the video that you got last week. You can watch the video again. And um, it's really good. I watched it for a second time this morning because Debbie was watching it and it, I got drawn into that. But anyway, uh, so Perry Petrelli. One other thing I want to mention to you, and that is that um, hmm, it's not there. So I forget what it is. What is it? I forget. It's in my phone. First take, thank you, that's it. After church today, we have a first take. What is a first take? We have those periodically, and that's the thing that folks who are newer to Cornerstone can come downstairs after this service. We have lunch for y'all, don't worry about it. Uh, I think we have 19 people that we're expecting will be at the first take today. There's room for more, there's pizza for more. Come on down, what happens there? You get to ask questions and I get to field questions and we get to talk about what's going on at Cornerstone Church. So first take's a wonderful thing. Thank you for that reminder from back in the back there. And that concludes what I'm supposed to say before. Now let's turn back to the Word of God. We are in Hebrews, the first chapter. We're actually going to make some tracks today. We went kind of slow in the first few verses. We're going to go kind of fast today. But before we actually go through the verses, I got another thing we're going to do for a while. Let's read a little scripture. Hebrews 1, 3b through 6. I'll read, you follow. This is God's Word. After making purification for sins, he, that's Christ, of course, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says that all God's angels worship him. Hebrews 1, 3b through 6. Let's bow and pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon. Thank you, Father, for giving us another day of life and health and breath and the opportunity to gather ourselves with brothers and sisters and friends, to sing the praises of the Lord Jesus, to lift up the matters of your kingdom, to pray, to preach and hear and receive your word. We pray now for the help of the Spirit of God. 
Help to the one who's doing the speaking. Help to all the ones who are doing the hearing that this may be a profitable time. May your word not return to you void. May it accomplish every purpose for which you have sent it. And may that even include the saving of souls. We pray for men and women, boys and girls in this building, and maybe especially for our little ones downstairs as the teachers now labor to teach them your word and to point them to Christ. Father, have mercy upon our boys and our girls. Open their hearts to receive the Lord Jesus and to follow him all their days. For we pray in the name of Christ with thanksgiving. Amen. All right, so before we get to the text that we read and the rest of the chapter, I want to do something. I've been wanting to do this since day one, and I thought, no, I can't fit it in there, and I can't fit it in there. So here it is today. I'm fitting it in today. It means you're really going to have two sermons, which is a bad idea. You're going to have this sermon, and then we're going to get to the real text and have the second. How many of you want a second sermon? That was, a, I was hoping for everybody. It wasn't real strong. Well, you're going to get it, so take a deep breath. And here's what the first sermon this morning is about. I'm going to put it up there. We're going to ask and answer the question, what are the main things that Hebrews tells us to do and not to do? There's something that recurs. He just says it again and again and again. A little differently here, a little differently. Same thing all the way around. He tells us again and again and again and again what he wants us to actually do. What the book's written for. What does God want to accomplish in you primarily through the book of Hebrews? That's what we're going to look at for a little bit here. So we're getting the broad bird's eye view. What's the book all about? What's going on before we dive back into our passage? And there's something very important and very wonderful that comes up again and again and again. So I'm not giving you every verse where it comes up, but I'm going to give you a bunch of them. You going to be able to handle a bunch of verses here? You okay? Do I apologize too often? Should I just go ahead and do it? Just do it? All right, so here we go. Here's the first. What's the main thing? Here's the main thing. Hebrews 2.1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. You remember in the context, it's comparing to we have heard Christ, they heard Moses in the old covenant, we heard Christ in the new covenant. We should pay much closer attention to Christ in the new covenant than even what we did to Moses in the old covenant. And why must we pay much closer attention? Lest we drift away from it. He's going to say this over and over and over, different verbs, different, different nouns, different terminology, but same thing. God's concern that he addresses toward you in the book of Hebrews is, lest you drift. When people fall away from Christ, there's always a drift. They never, one day they're a vibrant, powerful, strong, Christ-loving believer, and the next day they wake up apostate. That doesn't happen. There's always a drift. The drift goes over time. First you let go of this, then you let go of that. Then you let off Bible reading, then you let off praying, then you let off fellowshipping, then you stop assembling yourself together as is the manner of some later in the book of Hebrews. And pretty soon you're way out there wondering, how did I get here? You're going off the Niagara Falls of faith. You drifted. You allowed the drift to begin. And that's what the book of Hebrews is there for. So you, my brothers and sisters, will not drift away from Christ, but you'll hold fast to him and you'll cling to him. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is, in, is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if, there's a condition, 
Are you really a believer? Are you really in Christ? Are you truly regenerate? Do you have genuine saving faith? You do if, indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. We're not boasting in ourselves. We're not boasting in our own righteousness. We're not boasting in our own accomplishments or abilities, but we are boasting in Jesus Christ. Amen? We're boasting in our hope. And, and it says here, we are his house, we're truly saved, if indeed we persevere, if we hold fast our confidence. You keep believing in Jesus Christ, you keep following Jesus Christ, you keep receiving the word of God, you keep on fellowship with other believers, you keep gathering with God's people till Jesus comes. Hebrews 3, 7 and 8. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he's going to quote Psalm 95, footnote, notice, he calls the verbiage in Psalm 95, the Holy Spirit saying, that's his view of the inspiration of the Bible, end of footnote. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, here's what he does not want you to do, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, the one with Moses. There are actually quite a number of them, but he's referring to the big one. Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear the word of God coming into your ears today, and if you hear the voice of Christ as your shepherd, savingly you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. There's what he does not want you to do. Don't drift away. Hold fast. Don't harden your heart. The drift begins with one little hardening, just a little one. I'll let my heart get hard about this thing to God. He didn't bless me with that thing I prayed for. He didn't give me that thing I wanted. And you start nursing and nurturing hard thoughts about God. If God is loving, if God is powerful, why didn't he do this for me? Why wasn't he there when I needed him? And you get grumbling toward God. And he says here, don't do that. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's what the book of Hebrews is supposed to accomplish in you. It's supposed to keep your heart soft. The word of God goes in easily and deeply and finds lodging there and bears fruit for everlasting life. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers. He's pleading with you. Take care. Be careful about this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. That's what he doesn't want. Or phones going off in the service. He doesn't want those either. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to embarrass. You're already embarrassed enough. You, we understand. My phone went off in a service one. All right. Start the verse again. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. That's what he doesn't want you to do. He doesn't want you to go from where you are now to a place where you wind up saying, I don't know if I even believe anymore. I was talking with one of you who was in the earlier service actually this week about someone we both know who used to be part of this church and he stopped attending this church and he had stopped attending the community group he was a part of. I was talking with a group leader and he's saying now, I don't, I don't know what I believe. I don't know if I believe any of that anymore. The book of Hebrews exists, lest there be any of that in you. An evil, it's evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. 
What a terrible thing it is. What a fearful thing, we're going to read later, to fall into the hands of the true and living God. And here it is, what, what a terrible thing, if that would lead you to fall away from the living God. If you're truly in Christ, if you're truly regenerate, you cannot fall away. God's seed remains in you. You will keep on believing. You will keep on following. And you will keep on repenting. But you might not truly be in Christ. You might like be Christian in name only. And then one day you figure out, man, I have fallen away. I've drifted away. I've gone over the Niagara Falls. I've lost my faith. Christ is behind me. How did I get out here? One step at a time, my friend. One compromise at a time. One false belief at a time. One imbibing in some sin at a time. No, falling away. Hebrews 3, 14, same thing coming again. He's really after this thing in the book. For we have come to share in Christ if. Here's how you can tell a true believer from a not true believer. If indeed, here's what true believers do, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's a saved person. That's a genuinely regenerate person. What do they do? They hold their original confidence my original confidence was, I think, in September, on a Tuesday night at a Bible study where I heard the gospel and believed in 1971. If we hold our original confidence firm to the end, what's the end? Either I die or Christ comes back. That's the end. Keep on believing, keep on loving Christ, keep on gathering with his people, keep on following, keep on blessing him. That's what the book is about. It is the perseverance of the saints, Revelation 14, 12. Here is the perseverance of the saints. They keep on like energizer Christians. Beating a little drum. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. What's the book want us to do? Let us hold fast our confession. Same thing. There it is again. Hold fast your confession. Do you confess faith in Jesus Christ? He's my God. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. His shed blood has atoned for my sins. I have new life in Christ. Do you confess Christ? Let us hold fast our confession. See, these people, some of them were in danger of letting go, drifting, falling away from the true and living God. No, we're to hold fast. Hebrews is to help you hold fast your confession. Hebrews 6, 11 and 12. Again, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Did you used to be more earnest about Christ than you are now? You're not doing what this verse tells you to do. He wants you to show the same earnestness. Man, I'm into the Lord Jesus. I'm into the Word of God. I'm into Christian fellowship. I'm into gathering with God's people for worship. I'm into serving. I'm into evangelizing friends. And you show the same earnestness for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope. I believe you can hold a Glock to my head and say, deny Christ. I'm going to say, pull the trigger, man. I'm going to heaven. You can't get me to deny Christ. Hold the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish. When you get sluggish, you're in the drift. When you get sluggish, you're starting to fall away. 
When you get sluggish, you're kind of sluggish. You, you're going to leave off Bible reading because that takes effort. You're going to leave off personal prayer because that's work. You're going to leave off gathering with God's people. You're going to leave off scrumptious, soul-nourishing fellowship with other believers. No, you're just going to be sluggish. You ever have your, your homeschooler and you got a kid and your kid's your student and they're just not doing anything that day. They're sluggish. You ne- None of you have ever had that, right? You can, you can be like that kid as a believer. You're just messing around, doodling on the page. Do I have to do this in the Christian life? But this is written so that you may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who, through faith, they keep on believing, and patience, patience with what? With persecutions of life, with tribulations of life, with God not giving you the thing you want so badly and prayed for, but you just patiently continue, you keep on believing, you keep on following, you hold on to your hope patiently. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hey, I want to inherit the promises because the promises are heaven and a new heavens and a new earth and eternal life and the forgiveness of all my trespasses, and they are many. I want to inherit the promises, so I have to keep on. There's more. Are you keeping on? You hanging in there with me? You have to listen to repetitive sermons. Laugh. Thank you. On cue, look at that. Next, Hebrews 6.18 gets right to the point. Hold fast to the hope set before us. That's what, there's the whole book of Hebrews right there. Hold fast to Jesus Christ. Hold fast to the word of God. Hold fast to the gospel. Don't loosen your grip. Don't let go. Don't get sluggish. Don't get sloppy. Don't get lazy. Don't start doodling on your page. Don't get all disappointed because God didn't give you the thing you, you thought he should have, when you thought he should have. No, hold fast to the hope set before us. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So there's another way of putting it. Don't be wavering. Don't be a wavering Christian. Well, I'm strong in Christ today. I'm not so strong tomorrow. You're like a, you're a daisy Christian. He lo- I love him. I love him not. I love him. I love him not. No. Without wavering, you're always putting one foot in front of the other on the straight and narrow path that leads to everlasting life. Don't waver for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10.36, for you have need of endurance. Keep on ticking in Jesus Christ. Endure persecutions, endure difficulties, endure disappointments, endure, what, what was your topic, Steve? Dealing with difficult people. I like the look on your face when you said that. We all liked that. You have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. This is what the book of Hebrews is about. It's about you enduring in the name of Christ. Again, Hebrews 10.39. But we are not of those who shrink back. There's what you're not supposed to do. It's the same as drifting. It's the same as getting wobbly knees. It's the same as all. We are not of those who shrink back. He's talking now to the true believers among them. And are destroyed. What happens if you drift? What happens if you shrink back? What happens if you walk back your faith in Jesus Christ? The text tells you and warns you, you will be destroyed. You arrive at judgment day without Jesus Christ, without his shed blood atoning for your sins. You'll be judged righteously and sent to hell. Destroyed. 
But true believers, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's what he wants for you. He wants you to have saving faith in Jesus Christ and you preserve your soul. There's only two more. Are you hanging in there with me? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, 1b through 2, I think it is. Let us run with endurance. I like that. You've heard somebody say, the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon, man. And you're running and you're running and you're running and your muscles are all filling up with lactic acid and everything burns. You've got a stitch in your side. You can't breathe. Your heart's pumping so fast you feel like it's going to come out of your throat. But run with endurance. That's a normal Christian life. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Christian life is likened to a race. It's not a day on the beach, friends. Sipping lemonade. It's a race. And you're in the race. And you're looking ahead in the race to the finish line. There's Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And how did he run his race when he was here? Who for the joy that was set before him. Yeah, maybe God didn't deliver you that thing that you so badly wanted. But there's joy set before you. So for the joy set before you, endure the cross. Despise the shame. And he, having done that, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Run the race with joy. Last one I'm going to bring out. There are more of them. Hebrews 12, 3. Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary. Here's what he doesn't want you to do. Don't grow weary or faint-hearted. I don't know. It's been rough being a Christian. Hard thing following Jesus Christ. It's been more difficult than I realized. I don't know. I think I'm going to just drift a little bit away. No. Do not grow weary. Do not grow faint-hearted. I love where Paul says, I think it's in Galatians, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I want to reap. I followed Jesus Christ a long time. I don't want to give up now. I want to follow him to the very end. Don't grow weary. Don't grow faint-hearted. So this is what the author tells us. This is the first sermon. You've got a whole other sermon coming, all right? But this is what he tells us again and again. This is what the book is about. Don't leave Christ. Don't drift away. Don't get weak. Don't get wobbly. Stay strong. Keep believing. Persevere. Endure the difficulties. Follow Christ and die in his arms. Amen. There it is. Maybe we should just end with that sermon. We'll pray and go home. Not really. Oh. Now, we want to get to our text now. So now we're going to go back to, back to, oh, no, here's what I want to do next. So I'll put this up. Here's how, that, that's what he wants us to do and not do. Here's how he works to get us to do or not do those things. I want you to notice, so pastors should learn from apostles and other leaders in the Bible how to do ministry. More pastors need to learn from the Word of God how to do, how to deal with a thing in ministry. Here's what I mean. 
So the writer's got a problem on his hands. What's the problem? He's got people who are saying, it's really hard following Jesus. I think I'm going back to Moses. I think I'm going back to the old covenant. I think I'm going back to Judaism. This is more than I realized. This is harder than I signed up for. I'm not making this part up. Now hear me. Here's what too many pastors are doing in our day to help those Christians. Oh, we'll just remove the difficulties from the faith. We won't preach about those things. We won't talk about the difficult doctrines. We won't call you to repentance and obedience in these hard areas. We just won't go there so that you can be in our church and never get offended by the difficulties of the Christian life. Am I right? Is there too much of that in our land? Just remove the obstacles, remove the impediments, remove the difficulties, so the book of Hebrews would have nothing to say to you. There's nothing difficult about the Christian life anymore. As pastors, if you want to do this in your church, you don't preach through books of the Bible because then you have to preach what's actually there, and some of it's hard, some of it's offensive. So what you do is you just do a lot of topical sermons all the time, and they're on topics that everybody would love. Every, nobody will ever get offended. Everybody will enjoy it. Like one of the big topics these days is they, they have a thousand and one nuances of this title, how, how you can reach your full potential. It's potential preaching. We're going to help. God is here to help you reach your full human potential. False. It's a lie. Unless you mean by that your full potential is believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved and follow him and die in his arms. But there's too much of this potential preaching in our day. I'm going to name somebody. It's the Stephen Furtick's of the land. If any of you are liking his preaching, well, stop it. It's terrible. He's one of the most gifted speakers on the planet. Most of what he says is not true, or at least it doesn't come out of the Bible. I hear sermon. I listen to sermons all the time. I hear sermon after sermon after sermon, and I hear this guy's sermon, and I say, there's nothing about that, the topic you chose, in the Word of God. The Bible doesn't even address it. And the verses you're just pasting in here and there aren't about the thing you're talking about. There's a lot of that in our land. Be discerning. Because you can so easily access other people's sermons now, right? All right. So how does he work to get us to do the thing he wants us to do or not do? He works by giving us more theology, more scripture, more that could be offensive, more teaching, boatloads, truckloads, trainloads, line upon line, precept upon precept. He makes us really think. He promotes an intelligent Christian life. When I hear one of the, you can reach, God, God's goal for you is to help you reach your full human potential. When I hear one of those preachers, I, I always think, I'm not exaggerating, I always think, I could never imagine this guy writing Hebrews. I'm not sure I could even imagine him reading Hebrews or understanding Hebrews or Romans or Galatians or even 3 John for that matter. Notice how he works to get us to do it. All right, that was the end of the first sermon. Now we're coming to the second sermon. And the second sermon is about Christ and angels. Did you notice in our opening scripture reading, there was a mention of angels? Let's read Hebrews 1. You have to skip down one or two, Steve. Hebrews 1, 3, and 4. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Angels. Now from, from Hebrews, what is that, 1, 3, or 4, down through chapter 2 and verse 16, he's going to mention angels, 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 11 times angels. What's the big deal about angels? Why is he talking about Christ and angels? Do these things have a little angel thing going on? You know, a lot of people in our day do have a little angel thing going on. If you go to a bookstore, do bookstores still exist? If you go to, if you go to, is there a Barnes and Noble still? If you go to Barnes and Noble and you look in the spirituality section, there are books and books and books about angels, but they're not biblical books. It's just what somebody imagined about angels. In them, I don't know, I haven't read one, but you'll find things like this. Um, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's just stuff people made. It's a great movie, but it's just stuff people made up. All right. Why angels? Why does he suddenly go into angels? He's, he's talking to them about Christ and the new covenant, superior to Moses and the old covenant. Don't leave Christ to go back to Moses or the old covenant. That's throughout the book. Why does he have this section on and angels? Were these people into angels? It's possible. They, the people who have found, the, you heard the Qumran community, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they found in some of their writings in the Qumran community that there was some worship of angels going on, some over-the-top interest in angels. And this peeks out at us in Colossians 2.18, where Paul writes about those who practiced asceticism, extreme self-denial, and the worship of angels. So maybe some of that was going on. Maybe that's why we get Christ and angels here, to get them off of their angel worship thing that they were maybe into. But better, I like the scholars, and I read a lot of people in this this week, so I wanted to know what's he say, what's he say, what's he say. And, and I think better is this. Here's what's going on with the angels. What were these people doing, or they were in danger of doing? They're leaving Christ to go back to Moses and the old covenant and the law. Why would they do that? One of their lines of reasoning was this. He was just a rabbi, and he's dead. They're counting his blood as common. They're trampling underfoot the Son of God. He's just a human. He's just, he was a man. He's a rabbi, and he's dead. And what he said just came out of his mouth, out of his human mouth, and that's all it was. But Moses delivered his, was delivered his law through the, through the hand of angels. That's why angels come up. They associated the angelic deliverance of the old covenant law with its superiority, now superior to Christ. Christ's law didn't come with any angels. The things he preached, and that didn't come with any angels. But Moses, there were angels. Let me show you the angels. You're all looking at me like, what, are you nuts? Moses' law came with angels? Let me show you. Hebrews 2.2, 2, I'm putting it up. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. What message is that? The old covenant. The law of Moses. All that Moses received on Sinai and thereabouts. 
Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation through Christ? So there's our cue. He's definitely talking about angels in the context of the law, the message declared by angels. There were angels ministering to Moses and keeping him alive twice, 40 days and 40 nights, no food, no drink, up on the mountain of God receiving the law, not once, but twice. Angels ministered to him, just like Christ, 40 days in the wilderness, and angels came and ministered to him and fed him and gave him drink and nursed him and made him alive again, or a bit more alive. So it's angels as ministers of the old covenant They were saying, yeah, but that came by angels. He's just a dead guy. There weren't any angels. This comes out in Acts 7.53. Paul says, you who received the law as delivered by angels. Again, in Galatians 3.19, the law was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Angels, angels, angels. What was their interest in angels? Angels were with Moses. Angels gave Moses the law. Angels gave Moses the old covenant. We're sticking with angels. He's just a dead guy. That's why angels come out. So we're going to start working our way through the section on angels. And I'm just going to warn you, it's a little bit rigorous. How many are just dying to have a little bit of rigor right now? Yeah. All right. Maybe you ought to like do 20 jumping jacks and five push-ups or something. Get the blood flowing again. Are you ready? We're going to move fast through. We're going to finish the chapter now. How's that? In 11 minutes. Fasten your seatbelt. Hebrews 1, 3, and 4 again. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior... Better, the word better is used seven times. Here's the first. As much better, as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He's better, 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 better than angels. Now he's going to prove it with a series of seven Old Testament quotes. I believe it's seven. For to which of the angels did God ever say, and now he's going to quote Psalm 2 and verse 7, which is a messianic psalm, and here's God speaking to Jesus, and he says, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Son is the more excellent name. He's going to repeat it over and over. Son, son, son. Angels, son. Angels, son. Angels, son. To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? No, he's the special son of God. He is the son of God. They are, in a broad sense, sons of God. They're his offspring. He made them. And they are sometimes called in Scripture sons, plural, sons of God. But he is the only, the unique son of God. Let's go down to uh, the next section. Uh, Hebrews 1.5b, Steve, please. Or again... I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That's 2 Samuel 14, the Davidic covenant. That wasn't given to angels. That was given to David and David's greater son. That's the Lord Jesus. He never said things like that about angels. Or the next one. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. All of God's angels were told to worship Christ. Christ is never told to worship angels. He never worshiped angels. No, Christ gets all the worship. 
Verse 7, of the angels, he said, quote, he makes his angels winds. They're like the wind blowing. You can hear the sound, but you generally usually don't see them. And his ministers, a flame of fire. Sometimes when they appear, they're like a flame of fire. But the key word there is ministers, servants. They are God's servants. What are angels? They're God's servants. Jesus is God. Angels serve Jesus. Angels serve God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And angels serve the people of God, the redeemed, in various ways in Scripture. Or again, Hebrews 1.8, I believe it is. But of the Son, he says, this is from Psalm 45, your throne, O God. This is the Father speaking to the Son. He calls the Son Yahweh, sometimes translated Jehovah. So you have Yahweh, God the Father, talking to Yahweh, God the Son. And to the Son, he says, your throne, O Yahweh, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. Jesus Christ is glad beyond your companions. He says that of the Son. He never said that to any angels. And again, Hebrews 1, 10 through 12. And, Old Testament says, Psalm 102, you, Lord, that's to Christ, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you'll roll them up, and like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. He didn't say things like that to angels, but he says it to the Son. You are eternal, you are unchanging or immutable, and you are the creator. Why would you go back to angels? Hebrews 1.13, we're almost finished the second sermon text anyway, then some applications. Verse 13, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? You do know, don't you, that Jesus Christ is right now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high where all authority on hev in heaven and on earth has given unto him. He rules and reigns now. He's sovereign now. No angel has ever sat at the right hand of God. They're his ministering spirits before him. He sends them to serve those who are inheriting salvation. And that's the next verse, Hebrews 1, uh, it's, I believe it's 13 and 14, right around in there. Are they not all, here's what angels are. Here's a nice terse statement of what they are. They are ministering spirits, serving spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation, you. In the Bible, they serve God and they serve the people of God. How do they serve the people of God? They carry revelation down to them. Think of Mary at the Annunciation. Think of Elizabeth when she was told about her baby. Think about um, the Apostle Paul when he was for, how long was it? For maybe three months, caught up in the spirit. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, he didn't even know. He's not eating or he's not drinking either. And he was cared for by angels and by the Lord. They're ministering servants sent out for the sake of those who inherit salvation. And there's more on angels in chapter 2 down through verse 16. But what have we learned so far? Here's the deal about angels. They were saying, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to leave Christ and I'm going back. I'm going back to Moses because there were angels involved in the Moses thing. Angels are pretty cool. He didn't have any angels. I'm going back to where the angels were. That, that must really be from God. That's really good stuff. 
And so the author says, wait a minute, let me teach you about Christ and angels. Christ is God. He's Yahweh. He's sovereign. He's on the throne. Angels are servants. So don't let the idea of angels take you back to Moses. Don't let the idea of angels take you back to the law. But, you know, the, the ideas that will take humans away from Christ are endless. And this was the one they had in their day. All right. Give me the slide, please, Steve, that says a little deposit of biblical Christology. What have we learned about Christ in this section? We have learned that Christ is son of the Father, verse 2, 5, again, 5 and 8. We've learned that Christ is Yahweh, verse 10, he is Lord. We've learned in verses 8 and 13 that Christ now reigns on an eternal throne. We've learned in verse 9, this might be my favorite, that Christ is glad. He's purchased a people. And in time, he's redeeming them one by another, by another, by another. And he looks upon them, and he's glad to see the fruit of his redemptive labor on Calvary's cross. He's glad. And we've learned that Christ is eternal and creator and unchangeable in verses 10 through 12. So, what should we do? Here I have some closing things for you. Yes, I just said that word, closing. Here's some closing things for you. One, well, obviously, hold fast. Okay? Hold fast. Don't, don't drift. Don't get all disappointed in God because he didn't deliver what you thought he should have delivered and so you get grumpy at God and then you get weaker and then you allow some other compromise and then you start believing some other philosophy and pretty soon you're all the way away from Jesus Christ. Now hold fast to Jesus Christ. My friend, don't leave him for anything else. If anything looks better than Christ, it's a lie. If anything looks better than Christ, it's deceitful and it wants to lead you to hell. Hold fast to Jesus Christ. Don't leave him for one minute. That's one thing I wanna say in closing, hold fast. Here's another thing to say in closing, closing. Because of who we see in the book of Hebrews in the whole Bible, who Jesus Christ is, oh please keep him preeminent in your soul. You know what I mean by preeminent, right? He's first. He's long before everything else. Christ is first in my life, in my affections, in my interests, in my love. He has my allegiance. Christ preeminent in your life. You know, Debbie was having a kind of a down day this week and she doesn't have those that often. I think it's connected to the surgery she had recently for her hip, and she hasn't really recovered from that real well yet. And so she was feeling down, like, oh, man, I'm so tired all the time, and whatever. And I was, so I was encouraging her and, frankly, just telling her how much I love her, how wonderful she is. And I remember, I don't remember how I said it, but at one point I said something that almost sounded like, she's my Lord. And so I quickly clarified to her, wait a minute, you're way under Christ. You're way above everyone else on the entire planet but you're way below Jesus Christ. And I'm sure she was glad to hear that. She wants it to be that way. And that'll be good for her if my first love is Christ. Is your first love Christ? Is he preeminent in your life? That's the second thing, what we should do. Here's the third thing. We also want to have Jesus Christ preeminent in our church in our doctrine, in our pulpit, in our corporate life. We don't want a never-ending 
flow of sermons about helping you reach your human potential. Amen? You don't want that, do you? What a waste of time. No, we want Christ lifted up in our pulpit, in our corporate life. We want to sing about Christ. I can tell you all love singing about Christ, don't you? Yeah, I do too. I love singing with you all about Christ. We want to have Christ preeminent in our church. And finally, I'm going to just say this, a bit of a term, but also we want to be doctrinal Christians in a doctrinal church like Hebrews is a doctrinal book written to doctrinal Christians to deal with real issues in life. What do we need for real issues in life? Bible doctrine. Bible teaching. Hebrews is carefully written, man. It's close and careful reasoning. It's sharp. The guy who wrote it was brilliant. We want to be a doctrinal church full of doctrinal Christians, but the doctrine warms our hearts and turns into love for Jesus Christ, love for the kingdom, love for our brothers and sisters, love for the lost, doctrine on fire, doctrine in love. Do you want that? I want you to want that. We want you to want that. The book of Hebrews wants you to want that because it is doctrine. It's not 101, it's 404. It's postdoctoral. It's pretty amazing. So what should we do? Hold on and follow Jesus Christ. Bow with me, please. Father, thank you for this time in your holy word. We pray right now for any Christian who hears this, who's been struggling, who's been drifting, who's been getting wobbly and weak, maybe has wandered away, dabbling in sins and world's philosophies. We pray, oh God, that you might be pleased to use your word today to grab them and to haul them back to the cross, back to Jesus Christ, back to the true word of God. And we who do name your name, Lord Jesus, we pray, oh, thank you that you give us grace. Please continue to give us grace grace that we may keep believing, keep following, keep loving, keep repenting. Oh Lord, we want to be those that Peter describes who are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last day. Oh, keep us by your grace, we pray. Asking for all in the name of Jesus Christ, our sovereign Lord. Amen. Hey, would you like to talk to a Cornerstone pastor? We would love to talk to you. Here's how to make that easy. You can just text the word pastor to the number on the screen. One of our pastors will be reaching out to you this week. Please give us that opportunity. We would love it. Thank you.